Amen. Take your Bibles and let's go to Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. I love that song. love that message in that song. Give God the glory. That's what our life is supposed to be all about, is bringing glory to God. I'm amazed he could take as messed up vessels as we are and get glory from it, but he can if we'll let him. Amen. Exodus chapter number 3. When you find your place, you can stand with us, read a few verses, and jump right into the message tonight. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Jacob, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I'm going to stop reading right there for the sake of time. Let's pray and ask God to bless the message. Lord, we come to you this evening recognizing that we need you, Lord, to rightly divide the word of truth and to be able to bring out the message in these verses that you have given to us for God's people. May we listen attentively. May we pay attention. And Lord, may you speak to somebody's heart here tonight in a very specific way, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. So in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we find a conversation that takes place between Moses and God at the burning bush. God has obviously gone out of his way, if I could say it that way, to get Moses' attention, to communicate to Moses the need for a deliverer, and Moses spends much of chapter 3 and chapter 4 arguing and debating with God about whether or not he thinks he should go and do it. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. I've preached from these verses numbers of times. I know you've heard preaching on them, but the word that I want to look at tonight is a word that appears in this story. When I say in this story from chapter 3, verse 1, down to chapter 4, 
uh, about verse number 17. This is, the, this is the conversation that took place at the burning bush. There's a word that appears seven times. It's the word now. It appears seven times in this story. Well, the only reason why I figured that out was because one of them was obvious to me, which was verse three. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, and that word now got my attention. As I begin to look at that verse and look at that word, I was thinking about preaching on that one verse, and then as I begin to study, I notice the word now is in this conversation between God and Moses seven times. As I looked at each one of these times, they seem to be insignificant. They seem to just be a word that's put in the sentence to make it make sense, but I understood that the word now in the Bible means now. And it's a small word, but it's a powerful word. My mom used to look at me and say, come here. And I'd stand and look at her and she'd say, now. Somehow or another, that word now was more powerful than the come here. Every time this word appears in this story, something in Moses' life is happening. There, there are, in other words, I took the seven times, put them in five different categories. These are stages in Moses' life. By the way, these five stages in Moses' life are probably more likely the same five stages in mine and your life. There are five nows, five stages. I guess my question is, what now are you living in? That's the title of my message, what now? Because there's five. There's five transitions. There's five stages in Moses' life that takes place in these two chapters. And I want to this evening look at them and maybe ask God to show you what now are you living in? The first one I couldn't help but notice, chapter three, verse one starts out with the word now. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. If you back up to chapter two, you see that verse number 21 of chapter two, Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter, and she buried him a son. He called his name Gershom for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. If you know anything at all about the time frame, don't have time to lay all that groundwork for you but the Bible tells us over in the book of Acts, and we get more insight into the timeline in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11, that Moses, when he was a grown, full grown, 40 years old, he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So he was 40 years old when he left Egypt. He's now 40 years later, he's 80 years old at this conversation at the burning bush. I want you to write this down. The first now in Moses' life was the now of contentment. Contentment. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his brother-in-law. That's the same father-in-law in verse number 21 of chapter two that he was content to dwell with. 
For 40 years, he had job security. For 40 years, he was close to family. For 40 years, he didn't have really a worry in the world. Jethro was obviously a man of means and Moses married into the family, married uh, Jethro's daughter Zipporah and she buried my son and he just sat there and lived on the ranch and enjoyed watching the flocks and for 40 years he got up every day, went to work, didn't have any, really any bills, any expenses, probably not a lot of adventure, probably not a lot of, uh, of, of, of struggles, just a life of ease, a life of contentment for 40 years. That's the way he lived. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that doesn't appeal to me, but to some people it does. 40 years of contentment to dwell with the man. Chapter three, verse one. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. This stage of Moses' life was one that didn't require a whole lot of significant contribution to anything or anybody. He was no doubt a, a hardworking man, no doubt provided for his family, no doubt took care of them, saw about them. No doubt he was diligent, he was faithful, he was, he was uh, uh, reliable. I mean, to do the same thing for 40 years, you gotta give the man a little bit of credit. Uh, that, uh, that, you know, they was able to hold down a job and able to, uh, to continue to, to do what he needed to do, but his life really, can we just say it, was probably pretty boring. And, and some people like that. Some people, that, 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 that thought appeals to them, a life of boredom, a life with not a whole lot of adventure, not a lot of excitement, not a lot of uh, uh, opposition, not a lot of adversity, uh, just, just, just fly under the radar, keep their head down, and just enjoy life. Well, that's where Moses was when the story starts in chapter number three. They were not his sheep. They were Jethro's sheep. He was just the under shepherd. I'm sure there was a certain amount of responsibility, uh, but let's just be honest. He worked for his father-in-law and probably had it made in the shade. He had held down the same job for 40 years, probably had some pretty decent retirement benefits, probably had a little money stashed away in his 401k, Come on now. Probably had a little real estate, had a little place of his own over here, and he was, he was set for life. But now of contentment. But then we see God had other plans. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, talking about Moses, he looked, behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see. It's amazing, sometimes God has to do drastic things to get us out of our now of contentment. I was in Bible college preparing for the ministry. During the time I was in Bible college, I was blessed to be able to start a business with my brother-in-law, David Young, who preached here just a few weeks ago. David and Stacy, DNS Trim. We started DNS Trim. And uh, our job was making rich people's house look better. That's what we did. With the oak flooring and the interior trim and exterior side and cornice and decks and handrails and columns on the front porch. And we, we, was, we was making more money 
than we knew what to do with. Going to Bible college at night, working during the day, we started out just the two of us. By the time we finished Bible college, we had five crews between the two of us, and we were just, we were knocking down the money. Well on our way to just exploding, taking on more jobs and more crews, and, and uh, we were living the life. I bought my wife a Chrysler New Yorker. I had an F-350 Power Stroke Diesel Dually. Oh yeah, chrome simulators, everything. It was awesome. Lights all over, it looked like a Christmas tree going down the road. CD player, turn that thing on. Got diesel, boy, I tell you, it sounded good. Smelt good. I just like to stand around behind it and smell the fumes. We bought a little brick house on the corner there in Deering. Flipped it, remodeled it. Made it a beautiful little place to start a family. As a matter of fact, Spencer was born in that house. Yeah, you. Born in that house. And a little beautiful fenced-in yard right there on the corner. It was about a half a mile from her mom and daddy's house. It was about five minutes from church. Out in the country, living the dream. <laughs> making money, making so much money. My pastor, my father-in-law said, you ain't never going to want to do nothing for God. You're making too much money. You're putting your roots down. I said, if God wants me to do something, I'll do it. While I'm here, I'm going to enjoy life. And we did. Throwing grills on, uh, steaks on the grill every Friday night, living the life. Well on our way. I was on my way to being a millionaire probably before I was 30. Life of contentment. Now, for some people, that might be okay. But that ain't what God had for Moses. We see the second now. In chapter 3, verse 3, Moses said, I will now turn aside to see, write this down. This is the now of consideration. His life of ease and contentment was about to be shaken up. In fact, he was so comfortable and so tunnel vision that God had to set a bush on fire and leave it on fire and let it not burn up to get his attention. The Bible said in verse two, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush and he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire. No doubt Moses, in the 40 years he had been taking care of sheep in the wilderness, had seen bushes on fire. No doubt about it. But there was something about this bush that was different. He looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush is not burned. And I guess what really drew me to this passage, the word now, you got to wonder how long did that bush burn? How long did that bush have to burn and not burn up before Moses would stop what he was doing and go look at it? I don't know the answer to that, but it was a while because he talked to himself about it. I will now turn aside to see this great sight. Well, for it to be a great sight, it would have had to burn 
for a significant amount of time and not burned up. Is everybody still with me? And depending on the size of the bush and the kind of bush, it wouldn't take long for it to burn up. But for it to just keep burning and keep burning and keep burning and keep burning and he keeps looking over there as he's taking care of the sheep and he's tending the sheep and he's watering the sheep and he keeps looking over there and that bush is still on fire and, and he keeps doing what he's doing and you know he's checking on the sheep and, and he looks over there. After a while, it was apparent there was something unusual going on over there. And he said, I, I will turn aside now. And it's gotten to the point where I can't not consider this anymore. You know, God knows how to get our attention, don't he? Amen. It's funny that with different people, he has to use different things to get people's attention. With different people, it takes longer than others. Some people are more responsive. Some people, it requires something drastic. For Saul of Tarsus, it took a bright light and being knocked down in the middle of the street on the road to Damascus to get his attention. And for Moses, the Bible says the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. As I got to looking at this, God manifested himself to Moses it's a very unlikely situation, but God knows where you and I are and he knows how to get our attention. God manifested himself to Moses in spite of his life of mundane drudgery. Moses was about the most uninteresting person you could ever want to meet at this point in his life. Now he has a fascinating history 40 years back. But for 40 years, he's done nothing. In fact, his life is so insignificant that the Bible don't even talk about it. 40 years of his life is just gone from chapter two, verse 20, down to chapter three, verse number one. 40 years, just gone. Not even talked about, not even mentioned. He watched sheep. He walked sheep around on a trail and led them to water holes and grass and put them back in the fold every night for 40 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. And his life was so, so tunnel visioned and so boring. He was in such a rut that God had to do something amazing to get his attention. But what is amazing to me is that God came to where he was. God manifested himself despite Moses' life as being a shepherd. He manifested himself to Moses despite his location. The Bible's clear. He's literally on the backside of the desert, according to verse number one. He's not on the main drag. He's not downtown where everything is. We see his limitations. Moses, according to chapter two, verse 15, was hiding from Pharaoh because he'd killed an Egyptian and fled for his life, chapter two, verse number 15. He fled from the face of Pharaoh. He's got some, he's got some can, I, can, can we say it? Checkered past. Checkered past. He's, he's got a lot of training, a lot of education. If you read the book of um, Acts and if you read the book of Hebrews, you understand that he was brought up in the ways of Egypt and he was, he was well-versed, very smart. But he had some things in his past that for most of us probably would have disqualified him. Right. Can I get a witness? 
He probably, if we'd have done a background check on him here at Calvary, probably wouldn't have let him work in junior church. Amen. <laughs> Come on now. But God knew where he was. You know what I found out? You can't hide from God. You can't hide from God. There's some people that think if they hide behind the person in front of them in church that God can't see them and the message ain't for them. How's that working out for you? <laughs> Somehow or another, when the preacher's preaching, the Holy Ghost has a way of taking that preacher's finger and going all the way around that person in front of you and poke you right in the heart, don't he? Right. You try to drown it out, try to act like you're not listening. God knows where you're at. Amen. I'm glad for that. But we see the now of consideration. He knows how to find you. And he knows how to get your attention. It took Moses a while. We don't know how long. But it took him a while. Finally, he said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. You know, God had to do something supernatural to get him out of his rut. That's one reason I love this church. I love coming here. Because no matter how big of a rut you're in, God has a way of still getting his message across. Yes, Not many people go to church to get changed, but a lot of people get changed at church. Amen. Very few people go to church and say, okay, I'm gonna pay attention today. I want God to transform my life. No, but God has a way of doing that. I don't know anybody that ever went to church and said, I'm gonna go to church tonight so God can call me to preach. I know I wasn't. You want to talk about surprised when God called me to preach? I didn't see it coming. But God saw it coming. And he knew exactly what message, what messenger, what passage, what verse. He knew exactly what situation to back me up in the corner and get my attention, to get me to consider whatever it was he was about to say and do. We see the now of contentment. We see the now of consideration. Look at verse number nine. We see the now of commissioning. God said, behold, now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed thee. Look at verse 10. Come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt, come now. What a statement. Come now, and I will send thee. This conversation at this burning bush just got real. It just went from a curiosity and one of considering what's going on over here. Now all of a sudden, he's on holy ground. The God of heaven is talking to him directly, and God said, come now, I will send thee. We just turned the corner. We just went from a, from a casual curiosity to a face-to-face -face commissioning from God Almighty. I can almost hear Moses. When God says, come now, and I will send thee. Moses like, like now? <laughs> can I pray about it? Can I... Talk to my wife about it. 
can I, can, I, can I mull it over in my mind a little bit? Uh, God, you want, you, you want to send me like, like now? Now? Or as I looked at verse number 10, that come now just kept getting bigger and bigger. Come now and I will send thee. Why was God so urgent in verse number 10? Because not only is there a now in verse 10, but there's a now in verse 9. Stay with me. Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me and I've also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed thee. Yes, I'm talking about now Moses. I want you to go now because the need is now. You don't have time to go home and talk to your wife about it and think about it. You don't have time to come up with a long list of reasons why not. The need is now. Now is when the cry is coming up. Now is when the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now is when the need is to be met. I need you to go now. Multitudes are crying out. I'm thinking of what Jesus said. Say not there are yet four months. Say not that there are yet four months, but the fields are white already under harvest. He says, if you wait around for another four months, the harvest will be gone, lost. The fruit is ripe and hanging on the vines. You need to go get it now. Now is when the need is. I know people that have sat on the pew for 30 years, one day at a time, putting off what God wanted them to do way back when. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've gone to churches before where they had a couple dozen preachers sitting on the pews doing nothing. Nothing. I'm talking about some of them been to Bible college, had a bachelor's degree doing nothing, not even teaching a Sunday school class. And you ask them, says, when are you planning on doing something for God? Well, I'm waiting for God to open the door. Waiting for God to open the door. I say, when's the last time you tried the doorknob? Yes, sir. There's open doors everywhere. Amen. Brother Bettner approached Brother Ayler last week and said they had their preacher ministry of church, whoever was handling their Wednesday nights, <laughs> was wrapping it up and wasn't planning on doing it much anymore. And he approached Brother Ayler about, about our church. Brother Curtin's already going up there on Monday nights and Tuesday nights and doing discipleship. And we're going up there on Sunday nights several times uh, and uh, our preachers and all of our men taking turns. And Brother Ayler comes to me and he says, Brother Butner wants to know if we'll take that Wednesday night slot. He said, it's right in the middle of our church service, but that Wednesday night slot's gonna be open. I said, well, we got enough men in the church Everybody takes turns. We can fill that slot. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying there's open doors everywhere. But I've yet to see too many people be able to walk through an open door sitting down. You got to get up and go through it. Moses is 80 years old. He's at a time in his life when most people think about retiring. How many 80-year-olds we got in here? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. I mean, if you, how many of y'all, Brother Jim, how would you, how would you feel about t t undertaking this kind of a task right here, lead a million plus people out of Egypt? How, how does that appeal to you? 
You like that? Brother John, you, you, up, to, you up to something like that? Huh, running point on, a, on an exodus of a million people? Brother Jay, how about you? You got tired just thinking about it, didn't you? He's 80. And God's coming to him when he's about ready to just retire. And God says, come now. I'm going to send you to lead my people out of Egypt. And I know, I know Moses had to look around and said, are you talking to me? This is me you're talking to. God said, yes, I want you to come now and I will send you now because now is when the cry of the children has come unto me. The need is now. Need somebody to fill that position now. You know what I'm finding out the more I read my Bible? We're a lot pickier about who we pick for a job than God is. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Come on now. now of commissioning God says I'm going to send you I'm going to send you out I need you to do this for me Whew. I need you to do this for me there might be somebody here tonight God yeah you know who you are I don't I have no idea who this is for but somebody here tonight God has got something he wants you to do and that, that's going to mean leaving that job security. <laughs> I got, preacher, I got 40 years in down here. At Jethro's Cattle Company. <laughs> 40 years. I got seniority. Preacher, I'm this close. I'm this close. Yep. But now... I, I try to put myself in Moses' place and I can't do it. I can't do it. Well, there's a few more now. Y'all up for them? Yeah. We get over to chapter number four. I'm not going to read all these two chapters. You can read them when you get home if you want to. But make a long story short, starting in verse 11, Moses immediately begins arguing with God. Who am I? Chapter three, verse 11. Who am I? that I should go into fair. Me? I smell like a goat. Look at me. Look at me. You want me to go? He starts arguing with God. Listen to me now. He's standing at a bush on fire that's not being consumed barefooted. The angel of the Lord is talking to him out of that burning bush. And for some reason or another, Moses thinks he's going to win this debate. <clears throat> he don't even need Chris Wallace to mess it up, moderating it. He's going to lose this debate all by himself. It's him and this angel of the Lord, and he starts in on this angel of the Lord. Who, me? Who am I? Like, like God's going to say, oh, Moses, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. I thought I was talking to somebody else. You know, Moses, you're right. I didn't do my research before I got here. And, 
you know what, you're going back doing what you was doing, I'm gonna go burn a bush somewhere else and talk to somebody else, I'm sorry, wrong number, you can hang up. And God starts talking to him in verse 11, and man, I got a message I preach on all these excuses he come up with. But you get down to chapter number four, Moses says, they're not gonna believe me, verse number one. They're not gonna believe me. Well, how do you know they ain't gonna believe you? Because you're talking to me out of a bush and I don't believe you. I can't believe we're having this conversation. And if I go back and I tell those people that you told me to come and that you sent me to be delivered, they ain't gonna believe me. Look at verse six, the Lord said furthermore unto him, put now thine hand into thy bosom. And when he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. He put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. Behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. It shall come to pass that they will not believe thee Neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, they will believe the voice of the latter sign. Look at verse 12. God said, now, therefore go. Number four, we've got the now of confirmation. God says, I've already called you. I've already commissioned you. I've already told you that I want to send you. And now, just for you, and for anybody that's doubting, I'm going to confirm it. He gave him the sign of the rod in verse number one down through verse number four, where his rod, he cast his rod on the ground and it became a snake, a serpent. He picked it up and it became a rod again. He put his hand inside of his bosom, pulled it out, had leprosy, put it back in and it was clean. He said, now, therefore go. And I'll be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. I know for me, I hate to use personal illustrations, but I'm preaching. I know for me, when God called me to preach, there was no mistake in that. I said to somebody today, I said, that, that call of God to preach has its own unique ringtone. You don't confuse it with nothing else. There, there's nothing else that God would want to say to you that is confused with that call to preach. It's very specific. And when God came to me in June of 1993, my biggest concern was being sure. The message was clear. When I went and knelt at the altar at Faith Baptist Camp in Resaca, Georgia, after Brother Davison preached on surrender, I knelt down. I said, Lord, if you want me to preach, I'll preach. But I got up off my knees and I was like, this, is this really happening to me? God, are you, is that really what, we, is that really what you're telling me? It's not that I didn't want to preach. I just really wanted him to confirm it in my heart. I've seen people take upon themselves the call to preach and God didn't call them. And that's a disaster. 
I believe God calls certain people to preach and he don't call everybody to preach. Everybody doesn't have that call. Now, everybody can be a soul winner. Everybody can disciple new converts. Everybody can, uh, uh, can, can teach and edify and exhort. But there's something specific about the call of God to preach. And with that calling is an enabling that God will give an unction and anointing to that person to do the job. And Moses is standing there arguing with God, are you sure you want me to go? God said, I'm not just sure. I'm gonna do a few things here so that you'll be sure. Can't argue with throwing a stick down, it turned into a snake, pick it up, it turns back into a rod again. That's a big deal. I'd have been hard pressed to pick that snake up, just to be honest with you. I'd have said, Lord, if you'll turn it into a rod, I'll pick it back up. And I don't want to pick it up with it like that. The hand in the and coming out with leprosy, I mean, that that was that's powerful. There's no cure. They had to separate themselves from their family and, and, and live, in a, live in, a, in, a, in a camp, a leper's camp, away from everybody else if they had leprosy. And he put it back in and came out and was clean. That's, that's a big deal. Start saying, I'm slow of speech. I can't, Lord, I can't talk. I'm, I'm slow of tongue. God said, listen, I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna go with you. I've confirmed that I've called you. This isn't something that you're making up in your mind. This isn't, this isn't just you thinking too hard, long about it. I, I'm confirming it. And I want you to go. And God didn't have to do that. But God did do that. We see the now of confirmation. He didn't feel like he was the right one. He didn't feel qualified. He didn't feel capable. But God promised to go with him, and God did go with him. Sent Aaron as a mouthpiece, and Aaron never got a word in edgewise after this. Right. But then we get down to the last now. Look at chapter 3, verse number 18. We have the now of confrontation. They shall hearken to thy voice, now shalt come thou and the elders of Israel unto the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Look at chapter 5, verse number 1. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. What happened in chapter 3 Verse number 18, when God gave him the message, get down to chapter number five, he had to do what God actually called him to do. You got the now of confrontation. God, you, Moses used every excuse in the book in chapter three and chapter number four to try to talk God out of this. But in chapter five, verse number one, Moses had to do what God called him to do. There was no more putting it off comes a time when talking and planning and praying comes to an end. You've got to bite the bullet, say what needs to be said, do what needs to be done. All the, all the confirmations and the commissioning has brought you down to this one point where you now have to do what God called you to do. 
It's one of the most fearful things in the world. But as I read this, I'm realizing that not only is God depending on Moses, but all these people that are crying out to God, begging God for a deliverer, begging God for salvation from Egypt and from the cruel taskmasters, they're all dependent on Moses to get his act together now. Can't put it off no more. You can't drag your feet anymore. God said, now, go tell Pharaoh now, let us go. Can I say this tonight in closing? Some of you here tonight are dragging your feet. In your mind, you've got a list of excuses and reasons to justify why you're dragging your feet, but at some point, you have got to do what God has asked you to do. I look, I look back over my life. I was talking with somebody under the tent last week, Ohio, about the will of God. And some people I know have struggled. They struggle to find God's will for their life. I can't relate to that. That's not ever been the case with me. I'm not saying that that's not the case with some people, but I do know this. Some people, in their mind, they're struggling to find God's will. What that really means is they're struggling to try to talk God out of it. Because God doesn't make his will for your life an unattainable mystery. It wasn't a guessing game for Moses at the burning bush. The bush didn't catch on fire and an angel over there and he goes over and says, what's going on? Oh, I got something I want you to do. You need to figure it out. Who and where and what and when. No, that's not how it works. God told him specifically what to do. Where to go, when to go, what to say, who to say it to. In my life, for me personally, God's will has always been crystal clear for me. I've never, ever doubted God's will. And I'm not talking about little stuff. I'm talking about big stuff. When I finished Bible college in January of 2000, I had a funny feeling God wanted me to go to Africa. Instead of running from Africa, I bought airline tickets to Africa. My wife had just had Stuart, wasn't able to go with me. I took one of my best friends with me. We flew over there. I said, Lord, if this is where you want me, show me. Here I am making all this money, got all this, I'm living the life, and I'm flying to Africa to see if this is what God wants, and I can't explain it. I've tried to tell people I can't put it in any way to make you understand it, but when that airplane, British Airlines, landed in Johannesburg, South Africa and I looked out the window and I saw that brown grass blowing on the side of that runway clear as a bell the Holy Ghost said to me this is where I want you I can't explain it I got off that plane spent 10 glorious days there knowing I was coming back went back set my wife down and told her God's called us to Africa thankfully she surrendered to go with me a year later we were sitting in South Africa fully supported And I was there, I'm talking about with my sleeves rolled up, dug in. 
I mean, I was working daylight to dark seven days a week. Felt God pulling the feathers out of the nest. I didn't know where he wanted me, but I knew God was fixing to do something. There was a missionary in West Africa up in Ghana that had called me. He said, we've got eight churches up here with no pastor. I've got some preacher boys. I need some help training these preacher boys. Would you pray about coming here and helping me? I'd already been to Ghana. I preached there for two weeks. It's the armpit of the world, Ghana. You want to talk about a nasty, filthy, stinking, hot, muggy, yucky place, humanly speaking. I've been there. Spent two weeks there. Had to preach with a bath cloth in my hand. Sweat just pouring down. It's unbelievable there. Had to go to three different stores to find bread, mayonnaise, and tomatoes for a tomato sandwich. Three different stores. And my bread wasn't sliced and my tomatoes was rotten. I ain't making this up. I hated that place. I couldn't wait to get back to South Africa after spending two weeks in Ghana. I kissed the ground when I landed in South Africa. That's how bad it was. But you know what? I bought tickets to Ghana. I bought airline tickets to Ghana. They were laying on my desk when I got the phone call from Taylor, South Carolina. Would you consider coming and taking Pleasant View Baptist Church? I said, I got tickets. I'm sitting here looking at tickets to Ghana right now. I knew God was moving me. I just didn't know where. But God knew I was willing to go to Ghana, and God moved me to Greenville. I ain't lying to y'all. I put the phone down from that church in, in Pleasant View. I put the phone down, picked it right back up, dialed 706-556-9462. That's my pastor's number. I said, I just got off the phone with Pleasant View Baptist Church. They want not know if they can put my name in. They need a pastor. I said, what do I do? He said, go pray and tell Grace to pack. And he wasn't joking. I said, you ain't going to believe this, but I got perfect peace, perfect peace right now about leaving Africa and going taking that church in South Carolina. Perfect peace. I know it's God's will as clear as I'm standing right here. I was so sure it was God's will. That was a Tuesday. They was going to vote on me on Wednesday night. I called every member in my church in South Africa to come to my house on that Tuesday. And I set every one of them down and told them, God's fixing to move us to South Carolina. We're moving. We're leaving. The church hadn't even voted on me there. That's how, that's how clear God's will was to me. There was no question in my mind God was moving me. And God put us in Greenville, I mean, pulled us up by the roots and stuck us in Greenville, South Carolina. We was there for eight years. God did the exact same thing when he brought us here. I got a phone call on a Saturday afternoon at 5 o'clock. Can I put your name in? I'm resigning tomorrow. I said, you do whatever God tells you to do. And at 9 o'clock on that Saturday night, I was sitting in the back of Pleasant View Baptist Church, and I told Adriel Payne and Anthony Simmons, God's fixing to move me to Baltimore. No question whatsoever in my mind. I knew it as clear as I'm standing here. God was moving. God's will has never been complicated and mysterious to me. It's always been crystal, crystal clear. And here's just to be honest, it's really crystal clear probably with most of you. If you'd if you'd quit arguing with God about it. Amen. Amen. Stop arguing with God about it. Here's my question to you. What now are you living in? 
Are you living in the now of contentment where you're, you got your whole life mapped out and everything is just hunky-dory and then you got no cares and no stress and no problems can relatively speak and the devil's not really attacking you and fighting you that bad. Everything's just perfect and then all of a sudden God comes up, sets a bush on fire and you're trying, he, you're trying not to look at it. You're trying not to consider it. You're trying not to walk away from your little comfort zone to see if God might have something else he wants you to do. What now are you in? Because you're going to be in one of these nows. God's speaking to hearts right now. Father, we come to you this evening. I don't know who all this was for, Lord, but I know somebody needed this tonight. The question